Welcome everyone to another episode of the In Real Deep Podcast. I'm your host, Steve Samino, and with me as always is my co-host, Andrew Johnson. Hello, Andrew. Steve, I wanted it to be you. I wanted it to be you so badly. <laughs> Did an airplane just go by your head while you're saying that? That was the most important. I don't know. Yeah, sure. <laughs> there was a big whooshing sound. Yeah, it added uh, so much gravitas to your quote. That was great. People driving too fast on the street <laughs> near my house. Yeah. Well, that's a quote, Andrew, from the hit movie You've Got Mail. And if you've been following our Tom Hanks series on the NRLD podcast, you may be saying, wait a second, you guys have been gone for a long time. I thought you were slogging through the Green Mile, watching maybe a minute a day and taking your time and going through it. And Andrew, that is sort of true. We were supposed to do the Green Mile. This is supposed to be the Green Mile episode of the Tom Hanks filmography trapes that were going on. But as coronavirus spread, as our lives got a little busy, as we needed a little break, as we watched the movies and couldn't connect... I think we both realized that we did not want to talk about the Green Mile <laughs> beyond a little bit of conversation, and so we decided to add a second movie to this list to revisit, uh, to do both movies, really, to do the Green Mile a little bit, and to talk about You've Got Mail, to talk about Tom Hanks, Meg Ryan, and Nora Ephron reuniting for the second time, and there's no real connection to those movies beyond being released within a year of each other, but I think we yep. just thought that the Nora part was much more interesting than just the literal, interminable three hours and 20 minutes that is the Green Mile. Yeah, I mean, you have that accurate. I feel like we were duty bound, having committed like over six collective hours of our lives to <laughs> the Green Mile, <laughs> to at least talk about it for a couple of minutes it's and why it's not it's, good. It's, it's no okay. Uh, so it's, I, I was lied. It's 189 minutes, so it's three hours yeah. and nine minutes. That's yeah, not 3:20. Yeah, so hooray! Yeah. We saw, I was 18, 11 minutes off. So six hours and 18 minutes of our combined <laughs> lives to be uh, to be precise. Um, we 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 got to talk about it for like a couple minutes just to, you know, encourage people not to watch it. I guess. Or we're gonna talk about Green Mile, Andrew. We're gonna get to that very very shortly. But before we do, let's do the beverage of choice segment. I have a 24 ounce Dos Equis giant beer that I got from Sonora Town, a Mexican spot in downtown Los Angeles. They have amazing burritos, maybe the best burrito I've ever had, and they sell big beers as well. So I went and got a burrito and a giant beer for this episode, and it was a treat. This is a treat, and uh, I want to do a shout-out to them in case anyone in downtown Los Angeles is listening. Go to Sonora Town. It's unbelievable. Yeah, but just wear a mask when you do it. Mm-hmm. Um Yes, please. And also, I that makes me just miss like actual good Mexican food, which uh, you know we don't really get in this area. In Rockville, Maryland, sort of get, you know, maybe. (laughs) Um, Yeah, it's more like El Salvadoran food, I guess. But um, yeah, Uh, I am drinking a gin and tonic with Hendrix gin and a comically large. Uh, orange silicone stra- straw because all the appropriately sized uh, silicone straws that I have for this size drink are in the dishwasher. You could uh, just sip from the glass. You need the straw element. Uh, yeah. I mean, I don't know. <laughs> it's your house. I, I'm not telling you to live your life, of course. Well, I just got I got, I got a new pack of silicone straws, so I wanted to I wanted to t- try them out. I guess <laughs> I can do some distance drinking. I sure. barely have to turn my head to talk in the microphone now. <laughs> Um, okay, I do see the value in that. That sounds, yeah, that sounds see, very see, useful. <laughs> I still have to turn my head. <laughs> yeah. 
All right, Andrew, let's talk about Grimaud for a little bit. I, I think the reason we wanted to talk about this movie is because it was such a success at the time of its release. It yeah. came out in 1999, nominated for four Academy Awards, including Best Picture, and made two, almost $300 million worldwide. It was a huge movie, and it was directed by Frank Darabont, who did Shawshank Redemption. I believe it was sort of his blank check of sorts from Shawshank. Like, oh, you nailed this other Stephen King story, now do this one too. And it just, you know, it, it seemed like something that'd be fun to talk about, you know. Uh, just, just there. It seemed like there was gonna be. I don't know. There would be. In retrospect, I don't even remember what we thought was gonna be valuable because all it ends up being is just a very long, very drawn out, lot of fake Southern accents. Just a very and 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 a very awkward movie to watch now. Like not not embarrassingly bad. Like not yeah. not, not so not so awful that anyone should apologize for making it or being in it. But certainly, Michael Clark Duncan is this huge magical negro for lack of a better term and it's terror yeah. and that part really does not hold up in 2020 to say the least no it certainly does not i mean he's literally like you know the the construct of that i think i think it was spike lee who actually coined the term and called and, and used this movie back then to actually make the point is that there's a, a black character who's there um sort of solving all the white people's problems. Now that go, that tradition goes way back before the green mile, of course, um, you know, back to like gone with the wind and other things, but, uh, it's like literal in this movie. Like he's literally healing them. Right. <laughs> so it's like, it's not just like comforting, you know, white people. He's like literally like sucking cancer out of people's bodies. Um, yeah, it doesn't like, like I think you hit it, uh, hit the nail on the head. It doesn't, um, sit well, Today it's not like embarrassingly so, but it's just still weird to watch. Uh, and then I mean, like you know, it's set in 1930s Alabama, so there is like a some magical thinking there that a bunch of white prison guards would be super nice to. Like there, <laughs> the, the 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 white prison guards working death row at the prison in Alabama are the nice ones, and everyone else is racist. <laughs> in Alabama, They're the most pleasant uh, group of men, you know. The, the the main characters, Hanks and David <laughs> Morris and the gang, there and Barry Pepper. They're all yeah. such such pleasant gentlemen, which is yeah. fine. But yeah, I don't. It's it's a lot of like it's a lot of everyone in it is hamming it up to a certain extent. A lot of big yeah. smiles to the camera. A lot of like quippy dialogue and smirks to each other. Like it's just endless that. And again, I think if there, there's a, if, if you cut maybe an hour from this movie, it's a lot more bearable too. Like you really trim the intro and the outro, which are aggressively long, and once again yeah. feature another old person <laughs> character playing Tom Hanks. Like yes. I do not know yes. why is Tom Hanks in so many movies where other actors play an old version of him or someone else in the cast like I did not know this there are so many of them and this is another one and the old guy who plays Tom Hanks this is pretty good but it's just he's on screen for probably literally a half hour at least and it's like you're not Tom Hanks get off the don't do this like please get back if you're gonna show anybody for a half hour show me Tom Hanks yeah I so I, I I know what you're saying I, I'm not surprised that this movie didn't hold up well for a number of reasons, but I think I can also appreciate from our seat why why it was so successful back then. Uh, I think there's like definitely like this Tom Hanks halo in the late 90s that you know kind of starts to dissipate around now. Um, and then you like you said it, it was follow up to Shawshank Redemption, uh, which you know 
Shawshank is beloved now, but you know, having just written written about it for the site, it wasn't actually a commercially successful film at all. Um, in a lot of ways, what made it successful and so beloved, uh, uh, I mean, uh, to step back, it was the Shawshank was nominated for an Academy Award, but what made it sort of so successful and had it get, got it to occupying the place that it does now is actually it running constantly on TNT and TBS. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. um, and, this, this, uh, was, this was like the, yeah, it's just call this the blank check movie for Darabon is because it came five years later because right. the Shawshank had finally caught on in everybody's mind. Right. And they said, Whoa, sorry about this, Frank. Like we didn't realize Shawshank was amazing. We, we, here's a movie yeah. for you. Yeah. So I can see, and even like the, the racial politics of it, there is sort of a quaint, you know, late nineties, uh, view of view of things, um, but uh, I mean, I'm glad you call out the accents. I thought the accents by everyone were horrible in this movie, um, and you know, I think I, I'll just say it. I don't think Hanks was very good at all in this movie. I, no. I think he was probably one of the weakest links in the entire film from an acting perspective, which is a really weird thing to say, given that pretty much even the bad movies we've done up till now, he's been like. The, the strong one of the strong points um but he's he's awful it's yeah. weird because what we're going to talk about after this is another rom-com and you know hanks has done a few of them in his career especially in the 90s we got the the two nora movies in particular which you know do not always lend themselves to exciting characters or you know really you're, you're playing a regular person you know so there's not a ton of wiggle room there usually you're like you can have depth to you you can be interesting and in front of but a lot of times you're just uh you're you're, you're somewhat cookie cutter in those movies you know you don't get a ton of depth in a rom-com necessarily but i will yeah. say and you've got mail his character is 100 times deeper than he is in green mile green Mile, yeah, he's just a yeah. smiling prison guard like he just yeah. i couldn't tell i know his name is paul i'm looking at the wikipedia right now so i can tell you his name is edgecomb i don't know much about but i couldn't tell you a thing about the character beyond that like like you said he's pleasant he likes john he's Coffey. got a kidney stone he's got a kidney stone and he gets he, when he gets rid of it he fucks you don't see tom hanks yeah. fucking very many movies so it was exciting to see him and him and bonnie hunt go at it real hard but there's just not a lot there he's he's an incredibly blank slate he's milk toast he's pleasant and there's just there's no defining characteristics there's uh, you noted before we started there's really no quotes to this movie that you'd really grab beyond stuff that michael clark duncan says which you should not say and really i imagine even in 1999 michael clark duncan probably didn't want to say those lines very much either you know so it's there's just not a lot here there's very little meat on the bone and there's especially 21 years later there's very little worth praising it's it's adequate at best uh yeah i so you're saying i shouldn't have used awful tired now boss dog tired as my quote to start this episode off at uh, least not in yeah. a at least just maybe you could have said it in a bland voice it would have been yeah, fine yeah. like like that voice yes. not trying to do michael Clark that Duncan. would have been a good voice no, yeah i think like i think um i think i wrote this at the end like i what's weird to me seeing this, like it sort of has all the, a lot of similar elements to Shawshank and, and a Stephen King story and all this stuff. And um, I just don't know what the film was really trying to say, to be honest. Um, and I know when I think about Shawshank, I know exactly what that film is trying to say. You know, it's trying to say something about um, hope and how hope is, you know, I'm not going to use the line from that movie, but that hope is a thing that is actually very fragile. Um, and it takes unusual, uh, an unusual person and unusual circumstances to hold on to it. Um, and, and it doesn't always, you know, it doesn't, there's not always a return on investment there. 
And, um, you know, Shawshank is also about, you know, sort of the dehumanization of the, of prisons. And there's, there's a clear story here. I, it's about I a truly, lot of things. It, it has yeah. like, you know, that's why people like it. Like it's mostly yeah. about a few, few people, but yeah, you can, you can summon a bunch of sub themes if you want to, that are all very much there. Yeah. I, I, I literally, I don't know what the green mile is trying to say. I, I, I really don't like it's, it's, I, I just, I have zero idea what, what it's trying to put forth into the world from like a, a, a thematic perspective and uh, I think it shows I think it's why it's a three-hour movie you know like that doesn't that doesn't really take you anywhere other than you know sort of a a sad a sad death of its of its you know supporting character and um, I, I guess Mr. Jinx is still around or Jinx yeah or Mr. Jinx yeah, Jinx is still around <laughs> Yeah, it's bad. It's really bad. It's bad, and like you said, it's it's almost like Hanks is in it because they just paid him a bunch of money, and he just is a draw and is nice, and like they were playing off his everyman persona just to get a few more eyeballs. But yeah, there's just there's so so little to it, and so that's why we abandoned ship, and that's why we decided. I wish we hadn't watched it at all, but we did, and now it's over. And smartly, you and I pivoted to You've Got Mail, which I think is not, not not a better movie. I would say they're they're equally frustrating in their own ways, weirdly, but so much more interesting to talk about. Like, especially again in the context of it being the second movie for the threesome of Nora Ephron, Meg Ryan, and Tom Hanks, and it being the follow-up to one that you and I roundly disliked. Sleepless in Seattle, which is beloved by many. We don't understand why. We ranted about it. There was a whole thing. This one is, I believe, beloved by many people as well. But also, its flaws are more recognized, which is interesting. At the same time, I think we both thought this was better. Like, I don't, I don't want to give it an award necessarily or give it too much praise. But it's just, it's, it at least does not do the, it, it, you know, it doesn't go, it doesn't take the Sleepless in Seattle route of saying, like, let's see how long we can go if we can make a movie where our two leads never meet it's it they yeah. meet constantly and even if i would even if the reasons why and the outcome and a lot of that are odd and up for conversation and debate at least we get a lot of meg ryan and tom hanks being charming and having conversations and and being engaging and interesting on screen which is i think most of why we like a lot of rom-coms is because we get two charming people and you have them will they won't they for two hours like that's usually enough to get a two and a half stars b minus you know yeah, yeah, yeah. I uh, I think that's right. I think it's it's definitely a superior movie to Sleepless in Seattle. I, I remain bewildered by why Sleepless in Seattle is so beloved, uh, having seen it now. Like I don't I don't I don't think I'll ever see that movie again because I just don't. You know, I, it's just it, it irritates me in a lot of ways. Um, I think the biggest difference uh, between that movie and this one is that Meg Ryan is Meg Ryan in this movie. Uh, yes. You know, she's allowed to be an unirritating character. And I know since we last, since we recorded Sleepless in Seattle and since we watched this movie, you also saw When Harry Met Sally, which is one of my favorite, like, all-time movies, and which to me is like, you, know, you can't really talk about Meg Ryan at all until you have seen that movie. Uh, and this just has more of that spirit. I don't, it's not, like this movie is not anywhere close to when Harry met Sally in terms of, um, you know, greatness. But I think that's the fundamental difference. If I were to, if I was to kind of line the, the two of them up, uh, and then also, you know, we're, we're down and irritating, uh, 
eight-year-old son or whatever old he oh is. Oh, my um, God. Call. Don't get me started on that goddamn kid. Please do not. <laughs> no, let's talk about Meg Ryan because you, you've had a lot of Meg Ryan experiences now since we last talked, uh, and I want to hear I want to hear about that. <clears throat> I thought When Harry Met Sally was absolutely fantastic. I think it was – Maybe the best rom com I've ever seen. I don't want to give it. I haven't. I don't have a definitive rom com ranking, so I can't say that it is. But I, off the top of my head, I can't think of anyone that's better. It's great. Billy, it's as good as everyone says. Billy Crystal is super funny, top of his game. Meg Ryan is so charming. Bruno Kirby and Carrie Fisher rule. It's just. It's so snappy. It's so well written. It's just great. I loved it so much, and. I, I get why people were hyped for Nora Ephron. I get why people were hyped for Meg Ryan. I see why she was so beloved. It makes perfect sense to me. She's amazing. Everything she does is delightful. And it, it but in, in sort of what you're saying, it made me like Sleepless in Seattle less because of how it squandered Meg Ryan. How it made yeah. how or at least how it really said, Oh well you like Meg Ryan, huh? Let's see you like this incredibly quirky, <laughs> annoying version of her. And yes. apparently for many people that didn't stop them. But I just yeah, I I just want I she's so good at this. I see you know, like I get that she shouldn't be doing the same thing over and over again, but it's it really is a shame how they used how I think they misused her in that movie and it perplexes me again why people thought that was fine and good and, and you know, worthy of years of praise. I still don't get it. And she's she's wonderful though, and it was good in this to see her to see her winning our hearts over again and to easily fall for her and root for her and have her clearly be the protagonist of the movie and fully deserve it. Yeah. I, and it's like, uh, yeah, yeah, I think you're right. It's like sleepless in Seattle. They're like, what if we had the same character from when Harry met Sally, but we extracted all of the charm from her and then made her about three times more irritating from a neuroses. <laughs> and then we'll make her the love interest in the movie. Um, and like Tom Hanks, what's interesting too is like Tom Hanks is kind of the same as like the whatever the architect's name is in in Sleepless in Seattle, but he's like kind of a, a little bit more of an evil version of this, and so like somehow it kind of balances it, it balances it balances out a little better. Um, but you know, I like I I just I I I just I just think this 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 you said it like there's a lot of flaws in this movie i think i think the second half is and i know we're going to talk about it the second half is um very misguided but there's there's things in in, in this movie that that do sort of uh that do do kind of leave a, a a good a good a good taste in your mouth i guess um like everything from like just meg ryan being more charming to like um like Greg Kinnear is like the Bill Pullman character in from the Sleepless in Seattle, except he's actually annoying. And like, uh, and, and Meg Ryan is actually nice. And, and then there's this whole like hilarious, like Luddite thing going on, which is like very dated, but also still feels a little bit relevant to our current times. Uh, and, um, so like that, that part is better. And then like, it's, we got Dave Chappelle and like a song from the cranberries in there. So it's like not, there's some good there's some good things going on here. There definitely are some good things going on. I think the first half is good. I think I was, I was listening to um I tried not to let this color my opinion too much, but the podcast Blank Check, which I love, just very recently did their You've Got Mail episode. They're working their way through the Nora Ephron filmography. And I, I I love that podcast. I didn't agree with them on most points because I just don't they, they really like Nora and these movies and I don't see it. 
But one point they made that I would totally agree with and that I really like talking about, and you sort of hinted at it, is Tom Hanks is... This might be the, mo- the most, like, low-level evil character he's ever played, you know? Like, he's he's a yeah. bad guy. Like, in, in, in Road to Perdition, he murders people, so that's obviously a bad thing. But he's also <laughs> sympathetic in a lot of ways. Like, they, he's a fa- he loves his family. They, they, like, make sure to color it very strongly with those Tom, Hank vibe, Tom Hanks vibes. In this movie, Tom Hanks it works for a Barnes & Noble-type corporation that is crushing small bookstores and taking great glee in doing it. And has, you know, some fucked up parents, which garners him a little bit of sympathy. Like, they're rich and they like him, but they've clearly warped him in some way. But but he doesn't, you know, he doesn't learn anything through the movie, you know? He doesn't change. He doesn't really get better. He lies to Meg Ryan throughout the movie. And I think, but I think there's a chunk of that time where it works. I think there's a healthy point of the movie where... Tom Hanks is, is just sort of hamming it up in his own way and, and, you know, and enjoying, seems seemingly enjoying being this sort of twisted guy who, who loves this woman and wants to be better, but doesn't really know how and can't help sort of pushing people around and swinging his dick and using his wealth and getting what he wants. Like, he doesn't, he's trying to border those two worlds. And I think Hanks is really, really good at that because you have that natural interest in him. You have that desire because it's really hard to root against tom hanks but i think he does a really great job of just being insufferably that guy you know like you don't though though you maybe want them and then again this falls apart at a certain point which i really want to talk about but i would say through the bulk of the movie at least the first half you want to see them make it work in some way like meg ryan is a sweetie tom hanks is kind of evil and is fucking her over and ruining her bookstore but you're like okay well I'm sure, maybe it's a little cliche, but I'm sure at some point, Hanks will see the error of his ways and reform and save the bookstore and save the day, you know? And that's and that gets you through a chunk of the movie where you're like, oh, I'm so curious. I just, I just want to see that happen because, like you said, I like these characters to some extent or I'm drawn to them. I'm intrigued by them. And I even if I don't love where this is going every moment, I still want to kind of see it work out in some way. Yeah, well, and also, I mean, the thing to remember is that the characters have this, they do have this, it's unwitting, but they have this relationship with each other that is actually based on true emotion, like, which is the the email relationship. Now, they don't realize that they're carrying that on while they actually keep meeting, like, IRL, you know, (laughs) Um, (laughs) but... but they have that. That is, I think, what what makes it kind of work for a while. Um, and and it, then, takes the, as, it takes the email relationship very seriously too, which for 1998 yeah. or whatever, that was not a thing that I think people, movies were doing. And like, but in this movie, yeah. it it genuinely makes you feel like they are forming a bond and a relationship through yeah. the act of just sending you know emails to each other over and over, which is which is good. Like to its credit, it doesn't infantilize the internet or make it seem embarrassing or lame. It's like right. no, they're right. trying to find love and they right. found it. Who cares where or why? You know. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. Um, as someone who sort of first met his wife writing emails to her, uh, this is much later <laughs> in the history of the Internet. Yes, I, I I'm glad you said that. Uh, I, I do have one question before we get into the horrible end of this movie. Uh, do you think Fox Books is more Barnes and Noble or Borders? I couldn't help but thinking that the whole time. Like, Ooh. is this or is it like an Amazon thing? It's definitely not an Amazon thing because Amazon was all online first and now has stores. But uh, I couldn't help but think, sit there thinking that watching this, like how screwed is like is Fox Books really screwed right now because they have a lot of expensive real estate and they can't open retail, <laughs> or did they go out of business like ten years ago because Jeff? <laughs> So killed them. Yeah. 
That's a great question. I, I definitely thought more Barnes and Noble, but that was because that was that's the survivor in my mind and in real life. Like that's the one that made it through. But I don't know. Like Fox Books, it's it is very very funny to be watching it in this time and realize, like you said, that e- even arguably, and they talk about this on Blank Check in in, in the current time. Meg Ryan's bookstore might be the one that's coming back, you know? Like, Fox Books yeah. could be fucked. Meg Ryan could, could have reopened her bookstore and be back on the upswing because now there's a bunch of rich New Yorkers who want to buy real books from a real store. So they're willing to pay the extra money and hoof down there, maybe not in the time of coronavirus, but in general, they'd rather, like, have the tactile experience, whereas Fox Books is, seems antiquated and out of date now because it's just a bunch of big, dumb, empty space that nobody wants or needs. Yeah, yeah. I, I kept thinking about it the whole time. Yeah. I don't know. I'm not sure which one it is. I used to. I will say as an aside, I used to love going to Barnes and Noble when I was a kid too. Like, that was the coolest place in the world. So there's an affinity. Like, no, I'm sure Nora is clearly rooting for the Meg Ryan stores and the New York that was. But there was part of me that was like, I don't know. Fox Books looks pretty nice. You know, it looks really comfy inside. They got Christmasina works there. Like, what's not to like? Well, there is that one scene where Meg Ryan goes into it, and you can kind of see that, like, when she's sitting in the kids section, where she's like, eh, "This isn't too bad." Yeah. <laughs> um, I will tell you that uh, at least when we went, took our kids to stores in the before times, uh, that the Barnes and Noble for kids is still still a thing because um, they have that whole like kids section. They do like readings and stuff there, so yeah, it still has still has some legs. Um, That's good. Anyway, well, let's uh, talk about the end, though, Andrew. Let's, we're, yeah. we're, you know, I think we both agree to a certain extent that everything up until uh, Meg Ryan closes her store is interesting and good and fun. It's not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. I wasn't uh, raw, raw, going crazy for it, but I thought I watched it with my girlfriends, and we were like, "This is a fun movie. I like this. This is sweet. This certainly is better than Sleepless at this point." Then it starts to test your nerves a little bit because <laughs> then it becomes. And this is also a long movie, we should say. It is two hours and... Oh, it's two hours on the nose, pretty much. Exactly two hours. It feels longer than two hours, even. Like, it feels like it should have... It should have been a tight 90, or maybe 90 plus... You know, maybe 100 minutes. And there's some some extra fat on this, for sure. But anyway, the second half of the movie, it becomes... It should be sweet. It should be, you know... At that point, Tom Hanks is, uh, I believe, aware of Meg Ryan as his online crush... And Meg Ryan is fully unaware, and Tom Hanks has destroyed her store, destroyed her life. So I think the logic dictates, as we sort of said, that there's going to be some sort of reckoning. You know, Tom Hanks is going to pay for his sins, or at least is going to maybe change for the better for the future. Like, he's going to stop being such a... He's going to quit the store, at least, you know, quit his family business and go out on his own. Maybe open a new bookstore with Meg, you know, like, and take on the family business. But... No, none of those things. <laughs> like instead, they Tom Hanks just lies to her to, over and over and over again. In in, I'm, I'm sure people would argue that the lies are not that he sort of is hinting at it, or he's like, you know, he's 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 trying to be better and building it up and like learn and like I don't I don't know. I'm sh- I'm sure this movie has its vociferous defenders who may come at us for these takes. But in my opinion, the whole end of the movie is Tom Hanks lying to Meg Ryan over and over. That eventually revealing to her that he's her secret crush, and she begrudgingly and lovingly, and and because she's sort of a sad person who doesn't know what else to do and does love this man, unfortunately, just accepts her fate as that they're going to be together. <laughs> and, and I think we're supposed to think that's nice and good and happy to some extent. I don't know. I, I felt like Tom Hanks... You know, in an interesting but an unsatisfying way, Tom Hanks' character, Joe Fox, learned nothing, changed very little, 
achieved all yeah. of his professional dreams and then achieved all of his personal dreams as well. And Meg Ryan just yeah. takes it on the chin over and over. And now is this going to be in a somewhat, at least somewhat weird relationship for as long as it exists? I don't know. I just, <laughs> I thought it was very, very strange. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I, I, I fully agree. Uh, I think, um, uh, I mean, so I guess, I guess I have to talk now as the person who's seen this, the movie it's based on, uh, about where I think this movie really, the you've got mail really goes off the rails. And I think I know the exact moment it's, it's the coffee shop scene where they are supposed to meet. And then, um, Tom Hanks goes into the coffee shop, pretends to not be the person that she's been talking to all this time, uh, on email is a total dick and then leaves. Um, and the reason I think this is where the movie goes wrong is uh, multifaceted. Um, one, it's basically the last time we see Dave Chappelle, um, so that's too bad because um, up until that point he's he's there as like a I, what a pleasant surprise it was to have Dave Chappelle in that movie. Totally forgot he was in it. He's good. Um, he's very very charming he, and very fun. I liked him a lot. He is, and he's very Dave Chappelle. Like he's playing himself as usual. Um, but so. Uh, the, the movie goes on for f- like 50, five, zero minutes after that. And I was like, why is there 50 minutes left in this movie? <laughs> and I think the reason I thought that is because I have seen uh, a couple times the movie, which is The Shop Around the Corner, which is from 1940. It's uh, directed by Ernst Lubitsch, has Jimmy Stewart. Uh, and it's just a much more charming version of the story. Um, and it's because they, they it's it's really you know this is a a remake of that film but there's very little um that the films that specific plot details that the films have in common but this scene where they're supposed to meet in a coffee shop and she puts the um the the flower on the book like this is a scene that also is in shop around the corner and what i realized in watching it this time around is that like in the shop around the corner, that scene happens, and then Jimmy Stewart realizes he kind of has the upper hand at this moment because he knows that that's her, that's his pen pal, and she doesn't. And he kind of has some fun with it, but it lasts like you know a couple days, as opposed to like the psychotic uh, length of time that it lasts in You've Got Mail, which I, is indeterminate as far as I can tell. Like they keep he keeps randomly bumping into her and then it just seems to go on and on and on and on and on. And then he has to like contrive this scene where, you know, I honestly, I think this, that ending scene is kind of a cheap trick because he just has the golden retriever in there and everyone <laughs> loves dogs. They're like, Oh, it's Bentley. Let me just forget about the fact that he's been lying for, for That's months. Absolutely and, and true. Took, that is took her out, drove her out of business. And like, it's just, it's just off. There's just something that's off when you actually think about it, when you're watching that movie and you're like, I'm going to record a podcast and talk with my friend about it. Wait, there's something wrong with the, what's, what's happening here between these two people. Um, so Wikipedia says Kathleen cries tears of joy and revealed that she hopes it will be him. Are they tears of joy? I did not. I, I would not say that definitively. I mean, I guess they are. But like you said, they shouldn't be at the very least if they are. Like, I, I don't know. Uh, it's just, man. Yeah. Is there no one else in New York for this poor woman than uh, a completely pretentious columnist <laughs> who writes on typewriters or a cutthroat 
like businessman who's willing to lie and lie and lie. Like, is there no one else in the city of eight million people? And I didn't miss anything, right? Like, he does not he does not reform professionally in any way, shape, or form, right? No. He moves to the boat. Like, he, he dumps Parker Posey, which is good. Moves to the boat. Not neutral. Uh, lies to make Ryan bad. Reveals himself to her also bad, given everything else. And then the movie ends. But he has a dog. And he has a dog. <laughs> and he's Tom Hanks. So I guess yeah, we're sorry. supposed to just be back on board because of the actor playing the character. I don't know, man. Like, it's the way the movie you're describing, the, the original sounds so much better. Like, that's how it almost has to be. Like, like you yeah. said, why do we need this extra time? It, to me, it just makes it worse because he's – like, I wish it had ended. I even I, I even said to, to my girlfriend, Allie, when we were watching the movie, I was like, why – like, I, I looked at the – I paused it, and there were only, like, five minutes left. And I was like, I don't get this because what should happen at the very least – and, again, this is cliched, but sometimes cliches are there for a reason – is – Tom Hanks reveals himself to Meg Ryan. Meg Ryan slaps him and storms yes. out. And then, and then six months go by, like in a Harry Met Sally type way. Time goes by and they realize that they're good together. You know, that's like that's somewhat realistic. Like I buy that maybe over time she might be like, you know what? Like he lied to me, but it was a weird fucked up scenario. And now I've reestablished myself professionally. He didn't mean to crush just me. And then now I can get over it and find love with him. But to instantly just figure it out is bullshit. It's fucking nuts. That would never happen. And if it did, I'd feel bad for for Kathleen Kelly because she has, like you said, she has such low self-esteem that she can't reject this man yeah. who has been a piece of shit to her in many ways for the last couple yeah. months. Like, man, it just does not work. Yeah, I mean, what would Sally tell her to do, right? Yeah, yeah. that's just such a... <laughs> Going back to that, like what, like the, the the reason cliches work and tropes work, and when Harry Met Sally established a lot of those tropes from a rom-com perspective, is because it's just it's it's not real, but it's movie real, you know? Like it's yeah. it's character yeah. real. It allots these people some semblance of re regular human emotions, and 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 allows that time heals wounds and love like these are things that we all can agree to some extent are true and then when Harry Sally just hits those beats so wonderfully and a movie like this goes on for too long and ignores those beats and and I think it's the kind of movie that has elements of it that are interesting and fun and I could see why someone would like them but to act like they all come together in some real cohesive like uh logical entertaining well done way i just don't see it like it's not a poorly made movie it's not a poorly acted movie it's not a poor like a lot of the elements there are good but as a continue as a whole as a piece of a of a larger like you know element of a movie i just don't see how you can look at it and go that is a good movie that makes sense and is well done and and coherent and worth watching like i just i just don't see it yeah, I mean, I I agree. People should just watch the shop around the corner. It's also a good. <laughs> it's also a good Christmas movie. It's set at Christmas time. It's much better. Tell your brother that. Maybe we can uh, we can we can go back to that at a certain point. Uh, yeah, if he can get over watching uh, Love Actually for the thirty seventh time. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I mean, yeah, but and, and to loop back to Tanks real quick before we're done, I I think this is good Hanks. Like Green Mile is like you said, it's just it's bland boring Hanks like I think Hanks and You've Got Mail is 
very good. I think it's a character he doesn't play very often. I think it taps into that darker side of him, which we don't see a ton. I really liked him in this a lot. I think he was good. I think I I don't think that that coffee shop scene makes any sense, especially given the context of the movie that it's based on. Should obviously have gone in that direction, but I think he's good in that. Like I think based on who Joe Fox is supposed to be in this movie, what he's doing in that scene and at that point in time makes sense. I just think that character needs to get his come up at a certain point. And I just I think it's a flaw yeah. in the writing that he does not ever get that. Yep. Yes, I agree. I think that's right. It's it's a flaw in the story, not so much. And it, it almost seems like watching the whole movie that his character is like open to that and then it just never comes for some reason. <laughs> yeah. Like, you know what I mean? Like it seems like he would have been like, okay, I really should stop being a dick. But then yeah. there's like no one ever is like, you're an asshole. Uh, stop being an asshole, learn how to not be an asshole, and then maybe you can be with this nice woman. <laughs> yes, because um, he does. You know. He breaks up with Parker Posey because he's done with her, and he moves to the boat, and like his dad gets broken up with, and like clearly the family, to some extent, seems to be recognizing that they've failed in at least a personal capacity, if not otherwise, but then yeah. that just sort of stops, and then he just gets what he wants anyway, which yeah. and Nora Ephron is 100 times the writer will ever be, but I just don't know what she, like, I, uh, sort of similar to Green Mile, I don't know what other point we're supposed to take away from this other than what we saw which seems weird and i can't imagine is i i just don't know what what our what our final takeaway is from you've got mail like big business wins like the patriarchy wins like maybe but that's just, is that really what nora wants us to believe like it's that hasn't been the case otherwise so i don't know man I think we should all get our typewriters, and Greg Kinnear's character is the one really sending us the message. <laughs> he's the hero. He's the secret yeah. hero. He's, he's anticipating social media by about a decade, <laughs> I'd think, say. So. He's a great yeah. character because he's not, like, he's insufferable, but he's not that bad. You know, he doesn't cheat on yeah. me, Ryan. Like, he makes it clear. He's like, I didn't cheat on you. I just, I'm sort of weirdly into that TV broadcaster. <laughs> but, like, I haven't done anything. Just, and, like, we don't hate each other. We just don't love each other. Like, it was a very, I like that a lot. Like, he was, he was a <laughs> shithead. He was arguably a nicer man than Tom Hanks in this movie. You know, he was, though he was insufferable, I think he was a, overall, probably a better person. Yeah, and he's on, there's, like, equal footing between him and Meg Ryan. Like, they realize they both don't want to be together, as opposed to Meg Ryan's character in Sleepless in Seattle being like, uh, oh, Bill Pullman, I don't really like you anymore. And he's like, derper derper der. Like, <laughs> And, and she's been aggressively, aggressively cucking him in that movie. And this one, like they're having just that's in the middle of their pleasant email conversation. So Kinnear's yeah. not even getting cucked too hard. So yeah, yeah, no. Yeah, no, poor exactly. Bill Pullman. That's that's the biggest takeaway from these two movies is Pillman really got the short end of that stick. Yeah, He's the nicest yeah, character in all of these movies. Yeah, yeah, yes. <laughs> Oh, well, that does it for two Hanks movies in one. A very short Green Mile appraisal and then a lot more on You've Got Mail. We're moving on to another Hanks movie next, though. A big one, one I've never seen before, at least never in full. And I think one that we'll have a lot to talk about, and I'm really excited. We've been talking about, you know, though Hanks is good and You've Got Mail, like not the the Academy Award summoning of all the Hanks energies that we've come to expect maybe from previous movies in this series. We're going to get back to that in a real way when we talk about Castaway next time. I'm really excited. It's crazy I've never seen Castaway. It's, it was on TV every second it seemed like for a while there and I somehow missed it yeah. and I'm really excited to, to, to sort of get a better sense of what all the fuss was about. Yeah. I, I think it's going to hold up better than green mile. I guess I would say it's, it's a, it's, 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 it's a lot of Tom Hanks, which is kind of what we came here for. Right. It's like kind of him on an Island with a volleyball for a long time. So, um, 
So yeah, it should be good. It should be good. I'm excited. Yeah, flexing those chops. A lot of Hanks. That's what we're here for, like you said, and I'm excited to see it. So if you have access to Castaway, if you can watch it, do so. We will return in the next little while and talk about it in great detail. If you want to see all the other movies we've done, Hanks movies and otherwise, you can find all of our written words and all of our podcasts at inrealdeep.com. You can also subscribe to the In Real Deep podcast everywhere podcasts are. Rate and review us if you can. We love it. It gets us out there to the world a little more, and we appreciate all of your kind words. So do that if you have a second. Andrew, thank you for all your words, kind or otherwise, on this episode. Trees to record with you again, and uh, always a pleasure to talk, Hanks. Yeah, we've got we're we're heading into a new phase. I feel like uh, the end of you've got mail. I noticed like a slightly doughier physique. <laughs> uh, it's like we're we're going into like a little more. Later stage Hanks, so I, I feel like you know, buckle up. It's going to be an interesting ride. Not just Doey, but Castaway is definitely the beginning of the end in a lot of other ways. Obviously, the, the or the end of the beginning, maybe because after that it gets uh, dark and sad in other ways, and we're going to be going into some real odd movies from that point on. But before that, yeah. Castaway, which is uh, if not the apex of his career, certainly one of the one of the highlights and landmarks. So that's going to be a treat, and we'll be back talking about that real soon. Thanks for listening, and we'll be seeing you further on up the road. Adios. Adios.